0: Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is a retired sergeant major. Um, He did 28 years in the United States Army. Retired sergeant major, Michael Lopez. Thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. First of all, before we do anything, let me say thank you for your service. It It was really good to serve with you. Thanks. Appreciate that. How you been?
1: I'm doing well yeah got got a job and been working you know since i retired
0: so how how
1: long have you, how long have you been retired now
0: well since uh oh
1: six so wow. time goes by pretty fast fifteen years wow so what what are you doing now i work for uh, on fort drome for the soldier recovery unit so uh what i do is is i work uh as an advocate to help soldiers that are either wounded or have a sickness from a deployment or or other means, and assist them in, in separating from the military and transitioning out. So you actually still in Fort Drum? Yeah, so still at Fort Drum. <laughs> was, was that by plan or? Yeah, you see, I uh, I had an opportunity or several opportunities to to go other places as a sergeant major, but the thing that I wanted to do was to put my kids through high school without moving them. So I turned down assignments in order to stay here. And then after, you know, after I served and retired, then, you know, they stayed here and they were here and settled. So I went ahead and stayed here as well. Okay.
0: So let's, let's go to the beginning. How did you decide to even join the military? Well, I didn't
1: have a lot of choices. Uh, you know, I grew up in St. Paul, Minnesota and my uh, parents somehow put me through an all boys Catholic military high school. So um, I didn't have a lot of opportunity to go to college and a buddy of mine was, was joining. So I, I just kind of went in with, with him and, and and another guy and, and that's how it all started. Oh, so you went on a
0: buddy program. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going on the whole buddy program. (laughs) So what about, what about the, the two guys you went in with? Did they stay in as well? No, they didn't.
1: Uh, you know, uh, we went to basic and then on to, to Fort Ord, California. Served together for a while, and then, you know, I PCS to Germany, and and the other two, one separated, and one eventually went to Germany as well. But by then, I had taken a break in service, and and we had kind of parted ways. We're in contact now, but you know, that was we're talking 1976. You know, when I first came in, it was a long time ago. Did you
0: say you took a break? Yeah, I took a two-year break. What we'll
1: prompted yeah. that? I just, uh, military first four years really wasn't for me when I was in Germany. You know, it was much different than the military was much different than it is today. You know, there was, uh, you know, geese in Germany. They used to call the, the place where we stayed the zoo. And it was, uh, it was a pretty rough place. So it really, I really wasn't going anywhere. So I thought I'd get out and go to college. Um, but I learned that college really wasn't for me. And I was just kind of floundering. So I decided, you know, about 1982 to come back in. Did you have any reservations about going back in? No, you know, I I thought about that, you know, as I made that decision then. And it was I knew that if I came back in, there wouldn't be any looking back and I I would have to just this is going to be it. So I made that decision to go in and just give my best effort because that's all I really knew was military. And uh,
0: I became good at it. So that's what I did. So what so what was the first job you enlisted when you first went in the first term? Well I came in infantry uh
1: and then mortarman, And so I was I was a gunner, but way back when we're talking around 1977, they offered a new MOS and it was a 13 Foxtrot Ford Observer MOS. So I volunteered to do that and I moved from you know a combat support unit that had mortars and, and infantry to the artillery side and it was a new MOS. So it was one of those things
0: where, you know, they were learning as as we go type of thing. Was it, was it, um, changing jobs, changing MOS? Was that, did that excite you about going back in?
1: No, I I think what excited me about coming back in was just the fact that I, I, it was, it was almost like a biological clock was telling me I needed to do something with my life. I was, uh, um, 23. And, and i i just didn't feel I was heading in any direction so that was kind of telling me the military I, I knew what I was doing with the military i could make a career and and uh and that's that's kind of the reason why i went in i wanted to start a family
0: and uh so that's why I made the decision to come back in how long was well, since you since you mentioned that how long did it take you to start a family oh well,
1: about two years after that uh, my my first daughter was born in 85 we were in Germany, so First daughter was born in 85, then the second one,
0: 88. Did did becoming a father, did it change your perspective on being in the military?
1: No, I kind of felt that uh, I was able to provide at least that first daughter. And as we went along the second, the same sort of lifestyle that I would have been able to provide had I been a civilian only. You know, at that time, life was in the military was pretty predictable. You know, it wasn't purely nine to five, but you know, I could tell, for the most part, when I would be home, I would have the weekends off, unless there was field time. So life was 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 fairly predictable. Because because it was predictable, did you like that or? I I did like that. Yeah, I like I I liked. uh, That's one of the things. that I didn't think that I I would find in the military was that sort of predictability with family life or home life, but it, you know it, it did have a lot of provided me with a lot of opportunities to do things, also to stay in shape, um, to grow, you know, a, a, as a person, as a soldier. So enjoyed that.
0: We're going to fast forward to when you first became an NCO. What year was that? Well, that would have been 1983. How would you describe your feelings when, you know, once you made the list to become an NCO? Well, it was, uh, I, uh,
1: you know, thinking back to 1983, it was kind of uh, understanding that I was taking a next step. But, you know, it's also kind of a confusing thing. When you first transition from, you know, a specialist to a sergeant. Um, that, that's a big step forward. And, and I don't think at that time, the unit that I was with that I had the proper leadership to sit down and say, hey, this is this is the way you have to be or this is the style of leadership that you would you should look to be or look to do. So I think I, I had kind of had to find exactly what was right for me as I became an NCO. So that was that was a learning process.
0: What would you, you say you said you, you what would you say your biggest struggle was? Because you said it was a big transition. I think it
1: was just, just the transition from just being a regular soldier um, with not a lot being required except to show up at a certain time and do a certain thing, to taking on that responsibility and, and then being counted on um, to be a leader. And then there's no excuses. You're, it's one day you're a specialist and the next day you're a sergeant. And now you have this weight of responsibility on your shoulders, you know, whether you like
0: it or not, because you accepted that rank. You know, one of the things that I um, never really got a chance to ask anyone, because in it, once you become an NCO, um, you become you become a leader to your peers. Because, you know, you go from everyone being a specialist and now you're to a sergeant like you be you get promoted to sergeant. So how was that transition for you personally?
1: Like I said, it it was a little challenging. At at first, um, I can tell you that when I first was promoted, you know, I thought about what about my peers? Uh, Am I still, should I still be on a first name basis with them? Should I still treat them the same see all these Hollywood drill sergeants and you wonder am I supposed to be like that how am I supposed to act so it took me a took me a while to figure that part out
0: was there like a was there like a moment that that it like clicked for you like like when you started to really understand what it took to be a leader
1: I think there was one time and there was a, I can't remember the soldier's name now but and you know I tried to act like I was an authoritative type of person. And I put him at parade rest for whatever it is that he did wrong. And he kind of just blew me off. Then I looked, didn't know what to do. Hmm. What could I have done differently? Was it, I treat or should I have done done something different? So that that was kind of the moment there where I, where I decided, I needed to to kind of change my
0: stuff a little bit. How would you? So before that, how would you just? So how would you describe your leadership style? Since you needed to change it.
1: Well, that, I, I to be part of your personality has to kind of be. You can't be someone else. So, I'm more of a participative type of person. You have to be authoritative when the situation calls for it. But if that's not who you are, you can't be that way all the time. And, and I think I was trying to be that authoritative person all the time, and that just wasn't me. So I, I learned to interact a little bit differently and to lead from the front and to set better examples. And that helped you know, me, me, helped me move forward after that.
0: When would, you, when would you say you started to gain your peers' respect when, after your leadership? Uh, uh, I I think it was probably
1: when I became a, a, a section chief there at Fort Ord. It was probably about 1980. So I'd gone to Germany, uh, been in Germany since 83 uh, to 86, and then went to Fort Ord. And then when I became a team chief, I think that's that's about when, when it um, I started to make a difference.
0: What would what would you say? Because this is, I, I want to make sure I word this correctly. What would you say uh, to you, like the most challenging thing about being a leader?
1: Um, are you talking overall, or just way back when, or um, in oh, that, in that, at that time when you were developing? Oh, I think at that time it was more. That uh, there just wasn't any. There, there was so many different t- types of leadership. There, there was just too many bad examples. I think, <clears throat> I think, at that time, you know, first sergeants, platoon sergeants. It was uh, at least the ones that I dealt with in the unit. Not all of them, but a lot of them were, uh, do as I say, not as I do. So they weren't really. A lot of them didn't lead by example. Uh, would have questionable morals and values, but then they would preach to you to do it you know the way that you're supposed to do it, but then they wouldn't set that example. So I think that was always a challenge
0: How long, how long did it take for, how long did it take for you to finally get like good leadership where it was like, okay, I see this as a good leader, I could learn from him, I could develop more leadership style through this person.
1: I don't think there was ever one time at any unit until I reached maybe, a, unless, until I was a first sergeant, but up until that time, because I was down at the platoon level and unit level, I think the leadership was always hit or miss for the most part. There were always good NCOs and there was bad NCOs and, you know, same with officers, good officers and, and, uh, and bad officers, but there was kind of a mix. There was never a place that I went that where it was all consistently good or, consistently bad there was always that mix wow you so you said
0: wow first sergeant wow that's hmm that's a pretty
1: long time yeah well it's not that it was bad all the time it's just that i noticed i always took note of of what other people did you know and i would use the good examples but i would also use the bad examples because a lot of times i would try to look up to that first sergeant and sometimes that that first sergeant might not have been a good leader. So I'd also learn from that bad example about things that I shouldn't do. So sometimes you're stuck with that first sergeant. If he's a bad first sergeant, you know, for
0: two, three years, Mm -hmm. it can happen. How would you say that people who were under you, how would you think they would describe you as a leader?
1: Um, Probably that I was fair.
0: um, Hard, but fair. And that I I, uh, led by example okay during your during your time um as an nco you had an um you deployed to iraq and unfortunately you had an injury um i wanted to talk to you more about that like what during that process like how hard was it to overcome that injury uh it was it was difficult
1: at first because uh and that, this was my fourth deployment and you deploy enough times and eventually the likelihood is, is that, you know, you, you could get injured. It's just the, just the odds. But I think at the time when I was first injured, you know, Iraq, um, they didn't know a lot about traumatic brain injuries. So I can remember, uh, when I finally woke up, uh, I was in the intensive care unit at Walter Reed and, um, uh, I, my family had been there for a day and had been con- conversing with you, and I just don't remember all that. And then when I woke up, you know I couldn't see out of the left eye. Uh, things were fuzzy. I hadn't slept for five, and I went through a period of like five days where I didn't sleep, but they they wanted me out of the intensive care and wanted me, you know, to go to the Malone house. initially they had they had put me upstairs. And someone else was up there in that room and their parents were there, the kid had lost his leg. So they very easily and quickly without really diagnosing me, I think properly said, well, you you know, you're Sergeant Major, You looks like you're pretty good. Why don't we just send you to the Malone house? And, and I said, okay, it sounds good to me. And I didn't argue because hey, I wanted to go to the Malone house and get out of the hospital as well. But I noticed that uh, as soon as I went to the Malone house, if I closed my eyes, I was back in Iraq and I could see insurgents in place in IEDs. I could see all kinds of things. I opened my eyes and I'd be right back. It was almost like I was brought back there, but I wasn't asleep either. <clears throat> and so I went through a period of, I think, five days where I didn't sleep. And uh, there were times, because we were all in one room, two daughters and my wife, um, where I felt like I was going to die. It's a feeling I can't really describe. It's it's uh, But I felt like I was going to die. So I would go into the bathroom and just lay on the floor. And then I finally figured out, you know, I, I need to go get checked out. And, and yeah, I, I finally did. But there really wasn't a whole lot that they did. It was one of those things that if I sat up, the room would spin. I'd count it like 10, 11 times. And then I'd get up and walk. Otherwise, I'd fall. And then when I finally returned to Fort Drum. I was getting people's names wrong uh, I was just uh, get lost so there was just a lot of probably three four months where uh where I was somewhat confused but here I was in a as a command sergeant major in charge of you know four or five hundred folks
0: so it was challenging so because because you you mentioned because of your rank the it's kind of I'm, I'm, it's kind of really difficult to ask, but do you think your rank actually hurt you because people kept saying, oh, you're a Sergeant Major, you should be okay. Do you think that hurt
1: <clears throat> uh, I don't know if it was the rank. I, I just think at that time, they didn't know enough about traumatic brain injuries. Uh, I was at that point, this was uh, in May of 05. Mm-hmm. I just don't think they knew enough. And just the fact that I could open up and converse with them without them doing any tests or MRIs, of my head actually i think they did ct scans i don't think they did any mris but um i think they were quick because they were so busy there was so many people injured um with injuries that looked worse because they were missing arms or legs so it was just
0: easy for them to move me move me on wow damn where, you you mentioned like you actually feared you were going to die. That I mean, what you you felt like he was going to die. Did that did that cause any fear? Because that's a horrible feeling to have.
1: Yeah, it was. It, I hadn't felt felt fear at all until that the moment when I felt that. That's what I'm saying. It's it's an indescribable feeling, and it might have been the meds. I don't remember what they injected me with, and maybe that could have caused maybe because I was coming off meds. I, I'm not sure what. What was in the IBs that they were putting into me? I can tell you that uh, when I was in intensive care, I had had, I, first of all, I don't remember very much things in and out, nurses coming in, and I don't remember that, but I do remember having a dream. Uh, and I was in this halfway house, and there was a nurse at my bedside, and I asked her, Can I get up and walk around? And she replied, You can as long as you stay within the house. I said, okay. So I got up to walk around and I tripped and fell on the floor and then I woke up and I had all these things hooked up to me. And that's the first time that I remember, you know, from that point on forward from that intensive care unit.
0: Wow. And you said after all that, you went back to Fort Drum and assumed another position of leadership? Certainly did. Yeah. So I was lost the eyesight in my left eye so driving
1: the driving part was was hard and this is this is the other part like I, like i explained uh, <clears throat> they didn't know a lot about traumatic brain injuries at this time they probably probably should have given more time or had me see other doctors but you know this just wasn't just wasn't well known at that time 0607 you know they, there was more you know they spent more time on diagnosing uh, traumatic brain injuries
0: be, because Walter Reed has like a, a, a Walter Reed has like a care center um this, this Fort Drum have um good resources to help or uh, not really they had the normal resources that you would expect of uh,
1: any army post to have they do now they have traumatic brain injury clinics now and facilities now that they didn't have back then and in fact at that time
0: at Walter Reed they didn't have that oh wow yeah you know? Because it was 2000, because we're talking about um, 2006, 2007, and then you went back and assumed the leadership role. um, Did you find it hard to be a leader? Because you said you were forgetting names. You were, you know, I believe you said you're still having headaches and couldn't see. So did that affect your leadership abilities? It it did kind of. Actually, it was we're
1: talking the summer of 05. So uh, I returned to drum. In sometime in late June and then the unit was just getting back from Iraq so I had been, been there almost a year when I was injured so I met everyone at the at the airport when they came in and we had no sooner been back about a month when we were notified that we would deploy again the next summer so the summer of 2006 <clears throat> so it was at that time where a new battalion commander um, I had to give some thought about do I want it to deploy for my fifth time? I can't see out of my left eye as it is, and I don't really feel right in my head. I was doing some other things I was had some some scenes where I would get road raids really bad, some other things going on like that so i uh I gave some thought to uh to retiring, but before I did that, mean you know, I talked to the new commander battalion commander uh, Colonel Morshauser, and I said, hey sir, let me uh Let me go back to Walter Ray. Let me let them reassess my eye to see if there's a possibility of getting my eyesight back. And then I'll make a decision about retirement when I get back. And so that's what I did.
0: Wow. Because of, because of your positionship being, you know, being a leader, being a Sergeant major, was that a hard decision as to whether you would go or not?
1: For me, it wasn't. I felt it was about the time after 28 years. Um, part of me wanted to go, not just not for me, but because of the you know the soldiers that I um, would deploy with. Because I know there's always a big turnover, and I know the training piece was something that uh, that uh, I would have wanted to have been involved in to make sure they had the best chance of coming back. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I, I I I made the right decision to to retire.
0: So, how did you feel once you made that decision? I felt
1: pretty good. You know, it's, it's always a little nerve wracking when you make a decision to separate from something like the Army after serving so many years and then wonder, well, I still have to make money. I still have to get a job. So I worried about that aspect. How am I going to be able to put food on the table? Um, so that was a, one concern of the deployment piece was over, but then now there's a new concern about how to make ends meet.
0: Do you, because you stayed at, at Drum, um, and actually because of this situation, um, you, you, you landed employment, ironically, like tra- helping soldiers transition with injuries and things like that. So, how important is that for you because you actually experienced it firsthand?
1: Well, it was important to me. At the time, I, uh, the first job I accepted before accepting the one I'm in now, well, moving on to this job, I uh, became certified as a veteran service officer, as a VSO. So I stood up what's called the uh, <clears throat> Military Order of the Purple Heart. And um, several people on post were, were kind enough to, Mr. Greer actually was the, was in charge of uh, MWR for Drum. He was nice, to, uh, nice enough to say, hey, hey Lopez, I'll tell you what, I'll give you, I'll set you up over here give you a building, give you an office, give you internet, give you all that stuff, no cost. You don't pay anything. And because of that, you know, I was able to, to move and set up an office and service uh, all the soldiers that needed to, to get that VA stuff done before they, they separated from the Army. Uh, and so I did that, you know, and, and, and stayed busy with that for about, you know,
0: a year and five months before this job opened up. Okay. Was it important for you to actually stay involved with the, the military community at Fort Drum because you've been there so long?
1: Yeah, it was, it was, a, it was definitely a, something that was available like that, working with soldiers. I didn't have to deal with the leadership. It was just, <laughs> you, know, you know, the private or the, or, or the specialist or, or the sergeant, uh, whomever was getting out, that, that uh, it, it helped to stay connected to them like that.
0: What's the difference between Command Sergeant Major Michael Lopez and Mr. Michael Lopez?
1: Oh, there's a big difference. Uh, You know, once I separated from the Army, there was no Command Sergeant Major. There was no being in charge. (laughs) There was no barking orders. There there was no stopping the soldier, you know, (laughs) along the PT route because he was out of uniform or there was no making any corrections. It was just worry about myself and my family. That was... It's just uh, such a big relief.
0: Is it? Is it true? Because I, I hear this from people who who you know have had those leadership roles. Is it true that once you get out, you do not want to take on a leadership role as a civilian? Oh, it's, I think it's different for
1: everyone. For me, I I was fine just melting into society and and just you know doing whatever you know I can to to make me happy. I I wouldn't turn away from a leadership position if. If I was told you ne- I needed to do that in the performance of my job, but it's not something that I look to do or needed to do. But there are some, you know, I have friends where you know they separate and they just can't move forward. They're 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 still
0: in that sort of major mode, and, <laughs> and you know you can't be happy that way. <laughs> what, what, so do you do you envision yourself staying in full drum? Because like we mentioned earlier, you from you're from Minnesota
1: yeah I don't think my so I still have family back there, but the weather wise this is uh, just about the same, and I oh, have God. daughters here yeah they're all settled, and I have a house and you know so I can't see myself ever
0: ever going back to to live. I think this is it mm. considering considering that everything has happened um you know you served twenty eight great years, but you you know you had the injury. How would you summarize your military career? I think
1: it was, uh, that's a really good question because I asked that.
0: used to ask that to myself
1: <clears throat> all the time. Asked, to did I do the right thing? Could I have done something else? Um, could I have gone to college? Could I have been this or done that? And I think for me, I did the right thing because the military afforded me opportunities that I didn't feel that I was getting you know, as a civilian, In the Army, uh, it doesn't matter what your, your race is or your religion is or what your color is, a specialist C4 with eight years of service is going to get paid with the same specialist C4 with eight years of service, regardless of, of who or where you're located. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was fair. I thought it was a really good system of fairness. And, and uh, you know, I appreciated the opportunity to serve all
0: those years. This will, this will be my final question before we end this, um, because I because me personally because I know you I have to ask this question like mm-hmm. mentally and physically where are you at today? I think I'm uh, probably better than I have been a long time physically.
1: I work out all the time. I ride a bike because running is bad for my knees. But <clears throat> physically, I feel really really good, and mentally, I feel you know top of my game. My memory's a little bad. Sometimes it comes and goes, but uh, I feel really good. And of course I would love to have my eyesight back, but you know, I, I can I do just well without it driving at night's a little bit uh, of a challenge, but uh, I, yeah, I'm thankful that I'm, that I'm
0: still living. Okay. And, and listen, before I, like I said, I definitely want to thank you again. Um, it's been an honor and a pleasure catching up with you because um, like I mentioned earlier, we served together yeah. and honestly, you know, I, I think we know my situation with the military. Um, I just wish I would have got a chance to know you better because mm-hmm. I didn't understand what type of leader you were until, you know, we both separated from the military years had passed yeah. and I got a chance to see you outside of uniform. And I think you're a great human being nice. and i really so. I really do appreciate the time we served. I mean, I learned a lot, you know, during that time and I wouldn't learn the things I learned if it wasn't for you being a leader. So even though things didn't work out the way I envisioned, I really do appreciate the time that I did serve with you. And I'm grateful that I did serve with you. Thanks, James, me too. Um, I, again, I wanna wish you all the best. and. And I would. Oh, and before we end this, oh, God, I I'm on the, <laughs> I want to record. It's probably not going to come out, but I know we played the Vikings this weekend and I remember you. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
1: well, well, we both know how that's going to turn out, James. I'm sorry for the Cowboys, but,
0: you know, I'm a big Viking fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I wish you all the best again and thank you for your service. It was an honor serving with you and I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. Good luck, man. All right. Thanks. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. My Facebook is also conversations with lamp. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.